0: Coming up on This Week in Games, it's the 100th episode of This Week in Games. Dauntless developer Phoenix Lab gets acquired by a digital service company. And Blizzard earns the lowest Metacritic score in user history. Coming up, This Week in Games. It's that time of the week for your video game industry news rundown. I'm your host, Eric McConnell, and it's a magical hundredth episode for this small, pretty niche podcast, um, This Week in Games. I started this podcast in January 2018 because I wanted to hold myself accountable to read and digest the video game industry business news every week. And while that, coupled with Joe Rogan constantly telling his listeners they should all start podcasts over the last 10 years... I decided to do it and try it out. Um, You know, I knew this was a pretty niche subject matter. I was never going to hit like a million listeners, probably not even a thousand listeners a week. Um, But I enjoy doing it. And some people out there have reached out to me, telling me that they enjoy listening. So that keeps me going. Um, You know, the video games have been a big part of my life probably you know my earliest memories like one of my earliest memory memories is playing prince of persia and a few other dos games on those eight inch floppy disks those are the actual like disks that are floppy not the hard shell like three inch floppy disks that people might remember in the early 90s i also vividly remember getting an nes for like i think my third birthday beating the first level of super mario brothers and thinking what an amazing game and i must really be good at this video game thing because i beat this game so fast and then mario you know walks out of the castle and goes down the pipe to level 1-2 and that just blew my mind because not only was i like oh my god there's more levels but you know the levels looked and played completely different than each other and so (laughs) hey Hey, I wasn't a genius people. I like, honestly thought when you went in the castle, that was the end of the game. Um, but yeah, I grew up in the middle of the woods in Nightdale, North Carolina. Um, we only had like three to five television stations and there weren't like neighborhood kids. Like I legitimately was half a mile in the woods in the middle of nowhere in North Carolina. Um, so video games became my entertainment and hobby. They're like what I look forward to and what I did when I got home from school. Heading into university, I was trying to decide whether to pursue my other passion or a career in video games. My other passion in being directing martial arts action films. I can't tell if I made the right decision now, but I can tell you that the world missed out on some very good cheesy martial arts action films that could have been made under my direction. (laughs) In my master's program, um, I was getting a master's in computer science, and I remember we were talking with like some of the more esteemed professors about what industries we were going to go in when, I, when we graduated. You know, people were going to go write uh, custom Linux kernels at NetApp or, you know, go do very hardcore uh, low-level programming stuff, embedded systems on like these swarm devices that all work together and other stuff like that. And I said I wanted to make video games. And this very esteemed, like well-respected professor said video games were a hobby for children not a career. <laughs> you know, uh, he's probably right. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I've had a lot of ups and downs um, in this industry. I've had a lot of jobs, you know, types of jobs, roles at game companies. We, you know, worked on many different parts of video games, uh, met great people, met horrible people. But I'd say the industry has been pretty nice. You know, we're at a point where, All the hardest stuff in video games have kind of been commoditized, and it's easier than ever to create and distribute games. Unity Unreal have truly broken down barriers and still don't get enough credit in my mind. Like, really broken barriers. Like, before Unity came out, I was writing games in C++ and OpenGL, and that shit took forever to make. Like, I truly cannot talk about... Like, I made a fighting game in OpenGL and C++, and you had to do you have to do everything like you had to create sprite sheets and then write something to like digest the sprite sheets but like you had to do it all in a very sophisticated way and use like programming design patterns and everything else manage memory use all the like really smart like effective c encapsulation stuff um yeah it, it was really hard and now it couldn't be easier like could not be easier um looking at the game industry now like i truly despise what uh, a lot of game companies have become you know people are making third fourth or 15th iterations of the same game and companies are desperate to insert slot machines and other gambling mechanics to trick players into spending money and it's just not like a long-term vision but you know as negative as we can look at everything and as negative as we can look at like uninspired sequels and yearly releases and very you know just outright frustration over like companies squandering talent uh there's just lower barriers to entry and we're seeing games that we've never seen before and we're seeing them accessible to everyone instantly you know back in the day uh in like kind of raleigh north carolina we we generally had eb games we had babbages and then eventually we got a best buy but if the games weren't at those, like, three stores, you had to go to, like, these shady importers that would sell weird indie games or console games that were imported from Japan with extreme markups. So this is, like, definitely back in the PlayStation 1 Nintendo 64 days. I have too many Japanese versions of consoles. Like, I have a, I think I have a Japanese GameCube, Japanese Wii, Japanese Wii U, Japanese n64 i think i have another japanese console somewhere and used to have to buy these consoles or risk modding your own consoles um and installing these chips on them or other stuff to play like imported games and yeah you couldn't even read the games but now i can instantly play disco elysium or sayonara wild hearts or telling lies or any of the games that you know i've said were great over the last few years that were indie games that really like you you wouldn't get your hands on back in the day you know games like Sekiro are released worldwide to fanfare and like just absolutely love when in the early 90s a game like Sekiro you know some distributor at you know Sega or whoever was distributing from software games might look at it and have to make a like gut decision that day like should we bother? Do we think American audiences can digest this? Do we think, like, what's selling in America? Oh, bright, cute, you know, Western, you know, family friendly games are selling. So, you know, we don't think Sekiro will sell. Let's put it on the back burner. And so that's when you had to buy a Japanese console or mod your console and import it. And now, you know, Sekiro won Game of the Year at the Games Awards. You know, the industry is both a really rough industry where you're going to lose lots of jobs, you're potentially going to get screwed over, you're not going to get compensated well, um, and it's also one of the most innovative and future-forward entertainment industries in the world, and so it's just great, and it's kind of like I think everyone has a love-hate relationship with the game industry, but, it you know, it's, it's truly something special, like you look at what's going on with television or movies, and, you know, they're really not changing that much. Every now and then something comes and breaks down. Like, I have to commend... I'm not the biggest fan of Marvel movies by any means, but the fact that they were able to do this whole thing from Iron Man 1 leading up to Avengers Endgame is nothing short of a miracle and a testament to, like, extreme talent and dedication and vision and everything. But, like... Shit changes in the game industry much, much faster and shit becomes more replicable. And that's why the game industry makes more money than film, television, music all combined. And so it's a truly like special industry and we're at a special point in the industry. All right. I'd really like to thank everyone who has listened to this weekend Games. And again, hopefully you have taken away something from this podcast that has helped you in your professional or game career and you know thank you for you know listening all right after that rant uh let's get into the video game industry business news that we normally do i've condensed a little bit this week so i can put the rant up front and you still get some stuff and then like our 20 minute mark all right first up wizards of the wizards of the coast names james olin and chad robertson to head their game development studio, Archetype Entertainment. So ArchType's going to be in Austin. Wizard of the Coast is really going to go hard in the games, I guess, coming up. And those two are vets of, I want to say, Bioware. I could be wrong. Um, but uh, they're going to head that up. I'm just going through some quick news. There's actually a lot of business news that we have to get to. Um, Discord has decided to cut launching games and games and game news as a feature focus on its core chat experience what that reads is basically discord tried to expand out of just being a chat to try to be a platform it didn't quite work they claim they're not seeing the numbers they want to see to continue supporting it, it kind of makes sense you don't really go to discord and launch games it's a novel idea to think people are going to be talking about games and be able to buy and sell and launch them within discord it makes sense it just didn't happen no no problem with that. All right, here's a big news story this week. Blizzard gets a giant backlash for Warcraft 3 Reforged, and it pisses off fans from a lack of, I guess, promised feature at the pre-order state and the EULA change that says Blizzard owns anything created with their famous custom map engine. So this likely stems from Blizzard refusing to take Dota seriously until Valve took members of the original team and created Dota 2 allegedly this is all rumor blizzard was upset when dota creator ice frog didn't accept their offer to work for blizzard for free blizzard acquired the name dota dash all stars llc from riot for the sole purpose of suing valve over the naming rights to dota 2 Um, they actually lost that lawsuit and famously dota 2 was released by valve and has giant tournaments like the international and blizzard shut down here is the storm (laughs) with the eula changes the name art, design basically anything created by reforged this custom map editor belongs solely to blizzard you have no rights to anything you create with it even names even naming characters in your own custom maps blizzard owns it you don't you can't reuse them anywhere else and that has led to more backlash and likely no adoption by the modding or creative community that was present in the original warcraft 3. Warcraft 3 Reforged currently sits at a 0.5 on Metacritic's 0 to 10 scale. I actually thought it was a 1 to 10 scale. I didn't know you could go and dip below 1 on Metacritic. Um, Metacritic's user score based on 19,698 ratings as of recording this podcast, making it possibly the lowest-reviewed game of all time by user score. So it's not just a simple, like, politically-motivated review bombing. This is, like... Nineteen thousand people outright, like giving Blizzard the f u. And I've even read, like, anecdotally, things on forums where people are saying it's hard to get refunds. Um, and then people who are helping other people get refunds, like posting directions on how to do it, Blizzard would actually delete that post and ban that user from their forums. <laughs> you know, I've said it before. Uh, developers behind Diablo One and Two, StarCraft and StarCraft Brood Wars world of warcraft the original and warcraft one through three no longer work at blizzard like the people who made the games you love aren't blizzard anymore and game companies aren't you know names like blizzard like blizzard means nothing and this is kind of why we need to start paying more attention to the people who make games because those people are gone blizzard's still there but blizzard is run by you know people who want to make a lot of money for a publicly traded company and people who are fanboys of blizzard games growing up but not necessarily I don't want to insult like blizzard employees but like blizzard employees are a lot of people who love blizzard but not necessarily are the people who could create the next generation of blizzard like breathtaking genre defining games you know blizzard is owned by activision blizzard is a public company blizzard seems these days to really only care about Free to play esports where it can try to have a major player in every esport category. Like look at their offerings, like Overwatch with first-person team-based shooters. You have, you know, whatever RTS, like StarCraft 2 with RTSs. They had Heroes of the Storm with MOBA. They have a Hearthstone with card games. Um, you know, i <laughs> I expect Diablo 4 to have a shoehorned in esport and a shoehorned in digital markets place, to be honest, like loot boxes gotcha machines, something, are almost guaranteed in Diablo 4, because this is Blizzard now, and, you know, I get it. Uh, I don't think Warcraft 3 Reforged is, like, something egregious that really deserves a 0.5 rating. Um, but at the same time, it's, like, it, it's, it's kind of like one of these things where it's, like, what do you guys expect? It'd be like if, it's like the new Star Wars movies. Like, everyone's, like, oh, my God, they're just jumbled mess. And it's, like, yeah, because, you know, george lucas wasn't the greatest filmmaker but george lucas and the people surrounding him at least made the original trilogy make sense and be great and the prequels are not the greatest examples of film but still had some magic to them and then you know this new trilogy you can tell it was just a cluttered mess by people who were like scrambling and didn't have a coherent vision to span three movies that's why they let each Kind of a creative director, uh, write their own script without consulting each other. So I don't know, it's just weird. Uh, I just want to say, like, follow the people who make the games you love and don't follow the companies, right? Because you know, you don't care if Christopher Nolan was releasing a movie under Universal or WB, you care that it's a Christopher Nolan movie because that means something. Um, And in the game industry, it's like these publishers have everyone confused. And they think that a Blizzard game means something. And that, you know, I don't want to say one person is responsible for a single Blizzard success. But, like, the director of Diablo 2 doesn't mean anything. And it's the reverse. Uh, Just got to get more educated. (laughs) All right, let's go over some business news. This one was a strange one. First up, Phoenix Lab. Developers behind this stripped-down Monster Hunter clone Dauntless have been acquired by Singaporean digital service company Garena. So Phoenix Labs is reported to have around like 50 employees, but in Game of Sutra's coverage of this um, story, the Vancouver-based studio said they had over 100 employees, which is, I don't know, really strange. It's really strange. I thought Dauntless was doing well and that it was made by a small Agile team, but instead I can kind of see why Phoenix Labs might be um selling, if your burn rate includes 100 plus employees in Vancouver, Vancouver is a really expensive city. 100 plus employees is not cheap to keep employed. I mean, that's like in the, over 2 million a month, <laughs> you know, in salary and benefits and everything else. Workspaces, uh, equipment, laptops, things like that. I don't know if Dauntless is making, I honestly don't know what Dauntless is making. I don't know if they're making that kind of money. It kind of makes sense to sell out, but then like the company buying them, Garena, what are they gonna do? So, Phoenix Lab has raised an angel venture, Series A, Series B, and Series C round, with only the angel being reported, and that was over 500,000. So, you can assume the venture wasn't, I don't know, let's guess, in like the four million Series A, B, and C probably were higher than that, so. Phoenix Lab is probably, I'm just wildly guessing, you know, raised over $20 maybe in closer to $40 I don't know. Garena was an early investor in Phoenix Lab, so that's interesting. Dauntless was launched in May of 2019, last year. Um, But Phoenix Lab has stated they're now focused on mobile as the next frontier for their future projects, which is very strange for a studio with large expertise to put out something that's a good-looking indie free-to-play multiplayer game. Like, Dauntless looks good. You know, it's it's not Monster Hunter World, but it still looks good and it's still like a high quality indie game. I don't know why they're going to mobile like I uh, like the mobile rush for money in mobile is just a mess. Um, however, Greena is known for its game platform of the same name, mobile e-commerce service, Shopee and digital payment service Airplay. Greena is also a distributor of big releases like League of Legends and Call of Duty Mobile in Southeast Asia and has released their own free-to-play battle royale game, Garena Free Fire, which is reported to have generated over $1 billion in sales. Phoenix Labs stated they were worried about growing too big. Oh, So this is why Phoenix Labs said they were acquired now, so early, obviously, not even a year after releasing their first games. Phoenix Labs stated they were worried about growing too big that only an Activision and Tencent level company could afford to acquire them. But again, it's strange to be so focused on acquisition for a company that just released their... First Games of Service outing, and it's not even barely seven months old. If Dauntless was generating profits, I'm curious to see why they felt they needed to get acquired or why getting acquired was a short-term goal for the studio. The flip side, I don't know. Their burn rate, them being in Vancouver, the amount of employees. Maybe Dauntless wasn't producing profits, and maybe this was kind of like their way of securing at least one or two future bets for the studio it's still strange still strange like you release your first game and get acquired by a, a digital service company i don't know i don't know everyone i don't have the answers i'm just just reporting the news all right next up artcraft developer behind the upcoming mmo crowfall raises 11.7 million in series a so artcraft raises a pretty large series a to help push crowfall towards expected 2020 launch it's currently has an alpha build you can watch videos online um, I think the game looks really good. It's really, like, action-y and, like, you know, has a has a lot of uh, kind of, like, action game mechanics for an MMO. Like, pretty surprising. The Series A, along with five other venture rounds, brings Artcraft's total fundraising to $27.4 million. Crowfall, separate from its parent company, has raised over $5 million in crowdfunding and another $30 million in licensing and distribution deals. Um, Artcraft, I think a lot of the previous fundraising was around turning the MMO's game engine into a separate engine that they can offer other MMO developers and kind of like hopefully get another stream of money. My only worry is how many people are making MMOs these days? However, if Artcraft can make an MMO game engine that makes it very easy for MMO to be developed in the sub, you know, let's say a sub $20 million MMO, that could be pretty interesting for kind of like the public to get their hands on. Crowfall looks to have smooth, kind of action-oriented combat, like I said. I'm really interested, really, to see how this transitions to large-scale launch. Like, when you make an MMO, you make an MMO where, like, people are shooting beams and, like, a lot of action-y stuff, and there's a lot of movement, a lot of cool, unique movements. It, it, it looks really cool when you have five players playing it. What does it look like when 2,000 people are playing it and they're all, like, moving all over the place? Could be bad, could be good, um, but this is a very interesting, you know, hypothesis that i'd like to see when it comes out all right next up skybound entertainment known for taking up the walking dead game after telltale shut its doors closes a venture round for an unknown amount not that big of a story i couldn't really find in- any other information besides the disclosed investors on this one skybound who's mostly known for anything game related to the walking dead has raised venture round korean mobile player com to us led the round along with Sea ventures and third wave digital It seems that Skybound has its eyes set on the Asian expansion specifically uh, for its mobile titles and has unofficially confirmed an Asian The Walking Dead mobile game in the works would come to us. I have to assume The Walking Dead is losing its pull. I mean, it's I think it's on like season 11. I don't really know anyone who talks about it, to be honest, and I wouldn't be surprised if Skybound took this money and made a lot of new IP attempts for 2020, like that might be the way to go the walking dead I mean zombies in general I I could be wrong but like it seems played out I (laughs) the walking dead just isn't generating hype it's hard to have characters around for seven seasons like the first couple of seasons you have jarring like deaths it's very gritty it's a survival thing but then you start getting like seasons series regulars that you can't kill off and stops becoming kind of a threat and a surprise thing when it's like oh well these people are still here you know after 11 years so it might not be that crazy i don't know all right last up uh new platform startup coda raises four million in seed rounds so i couldn't find much on coda because there's a google docs competitor that's like google docs with programming and that startup has the name coda so anytime i look for coda it takes over searches but Gameindustry.biz says Coda hopes to, quote, serve a large community of small developers with access to cheap, powerful tools, and lacking the, who are lacking the knowledge and resources to bring the games they make to market. So the weird part about Coda is Coda wants to be a mobile game platform that serves games to users and takes the general platform cut. To attract developers, they're providing I guess tools and services that are attractive to. Let's just say not less educated developers, but less capable developers maybe. Maybe a developer that making a game in Unity and releasing on iOS is too daunting or maybe they don't think they'll get visibility. And then Coda's going to take those developers, have them make games, I guess, and release them on their own mobile game platform. But there's a bit flaw. Like, I don't understand this. So iOS flat out won't allow distribution stores. So you can't make a sub-store on iOS Like, you can't make your own game store and release your own games and charge money on the iOS app store. And if you do do that, you have have to give iOS complete visibility and complete payment cuts of everything and all the data. Um, I just don't see that working, because then if you're Coda, your game developers are getting double-dipped, you know? Um, So that leaves Android. Samsung and Amazon both took a swing at the Google Play Store many years ago, and it didn't work out for either of them, so... (sighs) <sighs> trying to become a games platform on devices that have monolis- monopolistic game platforms is a hard order. Um <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they can do it, maybe they can't. It's 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 a tough order. We'll have to see. Um however, to shine kind of like hope, London Venture Partners, who's a mainstay of game services platform funding, provided the entire seed round and will place a partner on Coda's board. So there might be something there. Clearly, London Venture Partners is willing to throw $4 million, run the whole seed fund, and get a board seat for it. So there's got to be something there. We'll have to see. And lastly, Disney shuts down Fog Bank Entertainment at the San Francisco wing of next So this is kind of a quick, sad story. When Scopely bought next from Disney, which I think I covered last week, the sale didn't include Fog Bank Entertainment as part of the deal. Games Beat is reporting around 60, 60 employees would lose their job. Pretty unfortunate, but luckily the Bay Area has a billion tech companies that are always looking to hire people, even if it's not in the game industry. So hopefully you guys can get jobs and you know continue to live, pay rent, and everything else. But still sad, still sad. All right, guys, that's it. That's the 100th episode. I didn't want to do anything too crazy. Um, I thought about doing something special, but we still covered the news. I gave a nice rant at the beginning about what games mean to me and what this podcast is. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. Also, leave a comment, rate me, let me know how I'm doing. And you can email me at eric at And reach out and comment on stories or tell me things you'd like to hear me cover. All right, that's it for this week in games. Take care.